1: Cats at night. Now here's John Catsimatidis.
2: Welcome to the John Catsimatidis Cats at Night show. Do we sing Happy Birthday to you now, John?
3: I don't know. I mean, uh, Happy Birthday,
2: birthday to, to you. you. Happy, happy birthday. birthday. Oh, we got a singer in here, Senator happy Alphonse Happy
3: Birthday you. In, in the studio. <laughs> we we have Happy Birthday, birthday to, to you. you. Thank you and Happy Birthday <laughs> WABC, and we'll, we we will mm-hmm. be celebrating tonight. WABC's 100 Years. In the studio with us, we have a, a few common-sense people and maybe a couple of so-so. A couple yeah. of crazies. <laughs> <laughs> no, not crazy. No crazy. A little more... I'm talking about myself. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> argumental, okay? Uh, we have uh, Judge Richard Weinberg. We have Congressman Peter King. And there's a rumor that King's Highway was named after him. It's and uh, the best senator our, our state has ever <laughs> had, Senator Alphonse D'Amato. Welcome, guys. And I'm glad you guys are here. And Dr. Peter Michalos. Oh, I, I didn't look <laughs> forward And He's in hiring. person, Dr. Peter Michalos. And uh, welcome, uh, Dr. Michalos, and thank you for being here.
4: Thank you, John. Thanks. It's always great to be in the Cats Roundtable, the Truth Center of New York. Well,
3: thank you. And uh, uh, I think we have some breaking news, and uh, I think John Solomon
2: is calling in.
1: Breaking News, WABC.
2: And that breaking news coming from who else? John Solomon, intrepid investigative reporter of JustTheNews.com. That's JustTheNews.com. John Solomon, what you got for us?
5: Well, yep. Anthony Fauci is going to be spending some time with his arm raised uh, giving testimony. Why? Because the federal judge in Louisiana has ordered the medical chief, the infectious disease chief of America, to testify in a lawsuit brought by two attorney general, Louisiana and Missouri attorneys general, alleging that he was part of an effort to suppress American free speech by pressuring social media to censor uh, certain Americans' views on the COVID-19 vaccine, COVID-19 virus, and other things. This is a major win for the states, and it will be a very interesting and important uh, moment for Anthony Fauci, because for the first time, he's going to have to answer under oath what steps he took to try to censor viewpoints, some which, now have proven to be true right there have been concerns there were people early on saying hey the vaccine won't totally protect you from uh getting infected might lessen your your uh response to it but it uh, might not those, that turned out to be true but for a while there was an effort to censor those types of opinions this federal judge is going to put anthony fauci under oath and, and we're going to see what happens in that in the next few weeks
3: wow i mean that, that is a major because i've always said from the very beginning because i i interviewed uh, anthony fauci i think in uh uh, was it January of uh, twenty or twenty-one, something like that? Twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. I 2020 believe so. Right 21.
2: before, right before the pandemic broke. Yeah, yeah because and, it's and, been almost two years. And
3: and, and, um, uh, and I said later on because I know uh, uh, my my interview was being broadcast by Hannity by everybody. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Either Anthony Fauci uh, was conned by the Chinese because he knew him so long, uh, and and he believed them. Or the other side of the fence, that they were partners in something.
2: Right, because I remember, John, he said in your interview, we have nothing to worry about and this doesn't transmit COVID human to human. And boy, was he wrong.
5: Yeah, listen, that's what's at stake here, Fauci's entire medical Uh, expertise is going to be put on trial. And the idea that he was censoring things that might disagree with him that turned out to be true, if he was wrong and the censored material was right, it will leave a long shadow legacy for uh, this 50-year federal doctor.
3: It it costs our country, the United States of America, trillions and trillions of dollars. By shutting down the whole operation,
2: and so many lives lost. And John Solomon, once again, you were right. You broke this story last week, but now we have confirmation. Biden knew all along about this Trump raid. Tell us all about it.
4: Yeah, not only
5: did he know, according uh, the, to the document that I made public last week, and now the federal judge who appointed the special master, President Trump, uh, President Biden instructed the national archives to send evidence to the FBI and initiate the criminal investigation. So Joe Biden not only was in the know, he's the initiation point for what turned out to be a criminal investigation of his political rival in 2020 and his likely rival in 2024. Remember how much the white house tried to deny this. Oh, Joe Biden's not in the loop at all. Well, the judge who appointed the special master went out of her way to mention that document that I, I made public last week that I got from the archives and now uh, says it's even relevant to why a special master needs to be appointed. If this investigation starts with Donald Trump's rival and is overseen by the Justice Department, controlled by that rival, there's good reason to be a special master. Uh, That is correct. That that document has been uh, a significant development in understanding how a records dispute suddenly spiraled into a criminal investigation with a a search warrant raid.
3: John Solomon, my concern is, uh, ever since uh, President uh, uh, Biden has been in office, the American people have been losing and the rest of the world has been winning. And uh, I, I just,
2: just, you know, it's mind boggling. That's all. Mind boggling. And John, I watched your interview this morning. Our way of life is under attack. I don't think that's hi- hyperbolic. What do you think, John I, Solomon?
5: I. I yeah, listen, I think that's true. Uh, the idea that a government felt comfortable to use its powers to censor Americans would have been anathema in any other earlier generation of Americans. The idea that uh, we could, uh, without making laws, cancel people's debts and, and and pick winners and losers in the free marketplace would have been anathema in any prior generation. The idea that we could exit uh, Afghanistan was such extraordinary failure and there not be consequences for it or there not be consequences for an FBI making up a fake investigation of Donald Trump on Russia collusion. There's no real consequence. I think that would have been anathema in another generation. And here's something this just came out this about an hour ago. The Homeland Security Department's inspector general said that contrary to what Joe Biden told us, contrary to what Joe Biden's advisors told us, Many of the Afghans who were rushed into this country uh, during the failed uh, withdrawal were not properly vetted, which resulted in people with terrorism ties getting past security and into this country. That's according to the independent, nonpartisan Homeland Security watchdog, uh, another example of a president telling us one thing, and we're finding out something later on.
3: John, we have a a minute or so left. Uh, Tell us, uh, I mean, we had uh, Ray Kelly uh, on uh, the other day on our show, sure. and, and and in 1993 he was offered the FBI job, mm-hmm. and what? Uh, yes, he was in 1993 he was offered it. He just to become a, uh, and he didn't want to give up his police commissionership. He said, uh, sh- "Should Christopher Ray should he stand up and and say if if the Justice Department is politicized?" Should the FBI director have the ability to stand up and say, there's something wrong here, guys?
5: Listen, I think that one of the most important things in the FBI domestic investigation and operations guide is that the credibility the FBI derives to exercise the powers given to it by Congress is by being candid when it fails. This FBI has done everything to try to not acknowledge its failures. It takes a judge to reveal that they accidentally, they improperly gave privileged materials to their investigators. That's one of the findings that were in yesterday. The FBI never admitted that. We got that from the judge. Chris Ray needs to have an acknowledgement of the problems that are now clear and present to most Americans. He hasn't really done that. He's danced around it, made excuses, said, I made some changes. I think a lot of Americans want him to more uh, aggressively embrace the problems so that they can be fixed. You have to acknowledge them before you can fix them. The culture of politics in the FBI concerns tens of millions of Americans now. We have to have faith in
3: our FBI, and Christopher Ray has to stand up and give us the faith.
2: And our leaders need to have courage. They really do. I yeah. know it's not an easy task to stand up and tell the truth, but thank you so much, John Solomon. Again, that's John Solomon of JustTheNews.com. Thank you always for informing us.
5: My pleasure.
3: Wow. I mean, now that's, uh, that's some information. I mean, uh, Dr. Mihalos, uh, what do you think of the Fauci uh, uh, situation first?
4: Well, first of all, with uh, all due respect to Dr. Fauci, again, he's an epidemiologist. Uh, the problem was that they didn't really have any physicians standing up there who actually were at the bedside treating patients in the ICU and treating patients on the front lines in the in the beginning of a pandemic. That would have been helpful. Things that are happening now in California, they're saying that they're going to go after the licenses of physicians. And one of the board members of the state of California license, and Mr. Esserick Watkins, said that we are standard bearers with the responsibility to rein in licenses for those who spread COVID information and disinformation. The question is, who's the arbitrator of disinformation? Now mm-hmm. we have the NIH. If you go to pubmed.gov mm-hmm. and you look up Chadwick, Prodromos, and the hydroxychloroquine paper, it shows that hydroxychloroquine, when given very early, does have an anti-inflammatory effect and may block the cytokine storm. Now the most prestigious infectious disease center in the world, is probably the Pasteur Institute, and they just did an animal model study and showed that ivermectin may not block viral replication. But guess what? It blocks the cytokine storm, and it's an immune modulator. So that now changed the whole narrative. But nobody's following up to correct some of these things that happen. So, in other words, in,
3: in California, uh, if, you, if you're a doctor and you dare tell the truth and you dare express your opinion— They'll take your license away from you? Well, if
2: you just simply follow medicine, that actually works.
4: Well, the problem is, again, people on the front lines are treating people in an emergency, and they saw what worked. Just like the doctors on Long Island, for example, and at Stony Brook and in Southampton, started giving people anticoagulants immediately because they thought it was a clotting disease, whereas the rest of them were saying, do not give steroids, do not give anticoagulants. But, in some places that were independent and were able to make independent decisions, they did it, and it ended up saving many, many lives. The death rate on some place on Long Island was only twenty percent in Manhattan. We had a death rate sometimes as high as eighty percent eighty percent well, because early on you can 't blame they didn 't know, but they were willing to try, and they were communicating with doctors from around the world in Italy and said, "Guys, this is a clotting disease, so you better start anticoagulating, but until the information all got caught up." I remember Dr. Fauci sitting here on this radio show on January 25th in 2020 and said that COVID is not a problem. It's nothing to worry about. Anybody can Google that episode and
3: go ahead, doctor.
4: But it's, uh, it's, you know, it's basically, it's just, you know, in my, my opinion that, you know, the problem is that people didn't know back then. I, I, I understood. I, and,
3: and, uh, uh, Alfonso uh, Senator D'Amato, and Peter King, uh, what what were your thoughts about uh, uh, what uh, we talked about the FBI? Let me tell you something. They are a
6: disgrace, and I almost worshipped them growing up, saying they're the greatest. I worshipped et them, etc. And and lately, the information that comes out, the cover-ups that they have participated in. Here, the special agent in charge of the Biden case Hunter Biden uh, has had to resign that son of a gun hid the information for 2 years they they had that information they had
3: the laptop and he covered it up and the he US was the district attorney and of Maryland and the, and also I think uh, uh, Rudy was on yesterday. It was told talk- talk- told us about the U.S. attorney in Pittsburgh. He was all excited about the case until all of a sudden he wasn't excited. Yeah. Well,
6: when they tell you stop, and that's what, exactly what they did. And he, this guy, grabbed all the information, hid it, etc. Now that it's coming out that it was true, and by the way, the so-called big guy, and here you have somebody, a, a, a former officer. But an incredible resume in the Navy who was Hunter's partner, and he testifies that the big guy was who? Joe Biden. And he got 10 percent of the money in that Chinese deal. Mm. And what's happening? This is incredible. The FBI director should be out. They should clean house. And I'll tell you, the Justice Department and and the attorney general,
3: he is a disgrace. we got a problem. Well, you know, uh, John Mitch was it John
7: Mitchell who went to jail? The only Watergate. other attorney general who went to jail? Watergate. Yes, Watergate. Watergate. And uh, Congressman King, any opinion? Yeah, listen, I think the average rank-and-file FBI agent is outstanding, but you get to the top starting with Comey when he was there, and then Andy McCabe, the people involved in the Trump, so-called Trump collusion investigation. I never heard of an FBI official doctoring a, a phony affidavit to get a search warrant to spy on a presidential campaign. The FBI did that. They, uh, the terrible Ray has been in there now for what, three years? He should have gotten rid of all of them, cleaned the clean house at the top, hanging right down the now. line, everyone involved with them. Instead, you still have like the guy, what's his name? And, and, uh, and Tebow. And if is, he is, if he
3: feels he's getting politicized and getting political orders, he should have the courage to stand up and say, guys, you want to
8: fire me, fire me. But this is the truth to tell the American
3: he people. You should also to,
7: bring someone into clean house to find American out who's involved. Tell the American people the truth.
8: Yeah. And there's another problem, too. When they executed their search warrant, it was an overwhelming general warrant, as uh, Professor Dershowitz has told us on the show last night. They swept up everything, 500 documents that they had no right to take. Some of them were privileged attorney-client documents. And that information was turned over in the FBI to the Justice Department prosecutors. So how is that not tainted in terms of any investigation, a possible indictment or prosecution of the former president?
2: And what's incredible to me is how the Democrats are trying to now rewrite history. Hillary Clinton came out and said uh, emphatically that she had zero classified emails. Zero, she said. I mean zero. After she erased
6: them from her computer,
2: 30-some-odd odd thousand of them.
3: There's a double... Double standard. There's a well, double standard. On the line with us, I understand we have former Commissioner Bill Bratton. I'd love to hear his opinion uh, of what the heck is going on. Uh, Commissioner Bratton, uh, how are you today?
9: I am very well, John. Thank you.
3: You've been listening well. to some of these discussions. Any opinion on it before we talk about New York?
9: Actually, John, I'm sorry. I've, I've only been on the uh, line listening for the last uh, minute or so. I've been on the road, so I literally just came through the door a few minutes ago.
2: Uh, Commissioner Bratton, what is your reaction to seeing what's going on here in New York City? Overall crime is up 26 percent, and, you know, especially when it comes to burglaries and robberies and assaults. I mean, just just today, a man in lower Manhattan, 82 years old, was assaulted with a machete by a woman just out of nowhere. I mean, uh, when's enough going to be enough?
9: Well, fortunately, in that instance, two MTA police were able to arrest the the suspect in that uh, incredible act of violence, but... Uh, My reaction remains uh, one of great frustration. Uh, Having been involved significantly in the uh, reduction of crime in the city in the 90s and going on through the 21st century, it's uh, very frustrating to see it all unravel as fast as it has. A couple of things I've pointed out in the show before, and I'll reinforce once again. 2018 was the safest year in the history of this city. Murders under 300, shootings under 1,000 fewer than 100,000 victims, people victims of serious crime. 2019 was an even better year relative to shootings. Uh, in the ensuing two to three years since 2019, we saw shootings double. Uh, we saw the city court system, criminal justice system, totally unraveled during COVID. And all the reforms that the legislature has attempted to put in place, beginning back, ironically, in 2019, None of them have gotten us back to where we were in 2018. Instead, those reforms have contributed to what you're discussing uh, in the sense of the going uh, amount of crime in the city. It's not declining. We had a good news uh, news news conference today about the month of August this year versus last year. Incredible decline in murders, incredible decline in shootings. But uh, that doesn't take us back to where we were in 2018. So great that it went down for a month, Uh, uh, great that the NYPD is getting so many guns off the street. But one of the things that uh, that tells us is that there are so many guns on the street. The fact that they were able to get over 4,000 indicates that there are more guns than ever. Also, what uh, lies behind that statistic, over 4,000 guns off the street, most of those people who were arrested through the hard work and observation of the NYPD are out there roaming the streets. They're not in jail where they should Mm -hmm. be. They're not being processed through the courts with any speed. So uh, what is the word? It's frustration that uh, we are not moving back to 2018, the safest year in the history of the city. We're going in the opposite direction. That shows the complete failure of so much of the criminal justice reform that was put in place starting in 2019 by our legislature up in Albany.
8: And it's, and it's even worse because we're going to have a new chief judge of the New York Court of Appeals, the highest court in, in the state. And... The progressives are already pushing to get one of their own to be the chief judge of the state.
9: That happens that uh, part of the issue, and I've been very supportive of giving judges in this state what every other judge in every other state in America has, the ability to keep somebody in jail because they're believed to be a danger to the public. we see time after time that many of the newer judges coming from the progressive woke left are, in fact, uh, uh, compounding the problem by refusing to put these very dangerous people in jail. Commissioner, Uh,
6: you just nailed it right there. The governor is talking about these new gun laws and they're not going to do anything because people who've got registered guns, they're not committing the crimes. And I'll tell you what's happening. It is because, and you just said it, we are the only state in the nation that has taken away the obligation and the right of a judge to hold somebody because he believes they are dangerous to the community. And you've got to change the bail law. You so that, you keep that danger off the street. You don't have them. You release them on nothing or in a little, if any, bail. And what do they do? They go out there and they commit the same crime over and over and over. And that's what's led to this. And you nailed it when you said that we got to change that law. And Governor Hochul, wake up. Stop playing games. We're going to pass all the tough uh, gun laws in the world. But if you'll let the guy right back out there, you don't hold them, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to keep committing these crimes.
3: Well, that's what uh, I've said, and and I've talked about it with the commissioner. I said, for whom do the bells toll? Eight and a half million New Yorkers that want a safe city or 3,000 violent criminals that— Repeat violent crimes. But who made
6: it possible, John? The left wing legislature. Well, let's, and th- guess let's what say. And the governor but doesn't stand it's, up it's, and say we got Speaker to repeat this.
3: Hastie, Speaker Hasty and, and the Senate uh, cousins, the left, they don't have the courage to stand up they want, against, against the uh,
6: left wing. They're left wingers themselves. Who's kidding who? They went you know, along I, with I, this I knew thing. Hasty was and not what, a, that bad. And, but, and uh, what about the governor? And she says, oh, we're going to pass these new tough gun laws. What is that going to do if these people are released? And if the judge who (laughs) sees that this is a
2: dangerous person doesn't have the ability to hold them. And Commissioner Bratton, what goes through your mind when you see these social media videos of just how disrespected police officers are out on the streets are getting spit at? They're being called racial epithets. I mean, it's so disgusting. Back in my day, I mean, now I'm sounding like some old person. We used to like wave at the cops, right? It was like such a treat to be with the cops. We wouldn't even dare to come and interfere with an arrest and actually try to hit the cop and then turn around and say they're a victim. I mean, seeing this kind of disrespect, what goes through your mind, Commissioner?
9: Well, what you're describing is a compounding of the problem in the sense that uh, uh, we are raising a generation of young people who are uh, basically uh, killing each other. A uh, 15-year-old, during the press conference today, uh, announcing uh, the good news about uh, the homicide and shootings that uh, declined August to August, uh, a 15-year-old boy was shot in Brooklyn. Two-thirds of the shootings and murders in the city occur in, uh, uh, between Brooklyn and the Bronx and have for many years. But increasingly, the number of young people being shot and doing the shooting... It's also increasingly we're raising a generation of, uh, of basically children or young people who have no regard for safety and have total disregard for uh, the police, hatred of the police, and that's manifested in the lack of respect showed toward the police. It's a, uh awful situation we find ourselves in, and it didn't have to be this way. In 2018, uh, the jail population at Rikers was at an almost all-time low. It's now around 4,000. Uh, the number of summonses the police had to issue were down dramatically. Why? Because there was so little crime occurring. Uh, we had a police force that was now repositioning itself for neighborhood policing. We were putting in every sector, in every precinct in the city, neighborhood policing officers, cops walking the beats again. Now we can't do that any longer. Why? The department is down almost 3,000 officers from what it was pre-pandemic. Uh, remember, actually, during the... Uh, uh, period of 20, uh, 19, 2020, they also wanted to do away with the school police. Well, today they were bemoaning the fact that the school police that used to number 5,000 are down around 3,000 because so many left and they can't find new people to replace them. So the world has turned upside down, but the good news is as it's turning upside down, uh, we're beginning to shake people up. There's a beginning to be a realization that things are not getting better as fast as they should. And maybe uh, uh, as they continue to get worse, as we saw today, the 82-year-old man attacked with a machete, 15-year-old kid shot in Brooklyn, that uh, uh, maybe people, the voters, will start to wake up and start getting rid of these, particularly the politicians that created this mess. You've heard me time and time again mm-hmm. talk about how did this get so bad. Well, blame the politicians because they're the ones that created it. It was so good in 2018, 65 million tourists, et cetera. They'd like to blame everything on COVID. COVID certainly destroyed the criminal justice system, but uh, COVID didn't all of a sudden uh, uh, release thousands of these young people out into the streets to commit murderous, shootings, robberies, rapes, blasphemies. No, the legislature did by basically pushing people out of Rikers before they serve their time and refusing to put them back in after they committed more crime.
8: And there's another now, this, problem. This, they this changed, changed the law. They raise, Commissioner, they raised the age for criminal... Well,
9: the raise the age began the problem back in 2018-19. That was the first move in the criminal justice reform issue. So these characters that uh, basically that are 16 years old. At 16, everybody thinks they're still a child. I'm sorry, when you look at some of these characters at 16, they're, they're killing machines. They're no longer children, they're killing machines.
7: No, so this is and Pete King, I was trying to ask it, you a know, question. But, uh,
9: some of them, effectively, because of the way they were raised, the conditions in which they were raised, that uh, uh, they did not turn out well, but they're not going to basically reform themselves, that's for sure. And the only thing we can do to protect the public is put them away. And I'm sorry that, uh, uh, that raise the age is a total failure.
7: Bill, this is Pete King. I have a question for you. Obviously, the NYPD has shown what it can do as far as going after the guns, cutting back on the murders. What is needed to expand that to, to robberies, uh, to burglaries, to assaults? Is it a question of more cops? Well, is it a uh, it, it, well,
9: them- One, you definitely need more police. Two, you definitely need to be putting more people in jail. I'm sorry that uh, you commit a crime with a gun. You commit a crime of violence and assault. Uh, uh, If you're emotionally disturbed... Let's put more beds into the system that will take care of the mentally ill, but get them the hell off the streets and also keep them out of the jails where they're assaulted also because, again, they're, at the, low, they're the low person on the totem pole in the jails as far as victimization. So we're not doing them any favors by sending them to jail for crimes that their emotional condition uh, helped to create in the first place. But the jail population is too low in this state, in this city, and the reality of it is that uh, we always often talk about mass incarceration or over-incarceration. Well, who are we incarcerated when the vast majority of people in our state prison and the vast majority of people at Rikers are there for violent crime? They're not there for fear evasion. They're not there for putting graffiti on the wall. They're there for violent crime, and that's something that nobody wants to talk about. What is the makeup of the population? They like to talk about the makeup as largely black and Latino, Unfortunately, that's the population that's being victimized most and committing most of the crime. That's the reality of it.
3: Thank you, Commissioner. We're coming up on a a break. And thank you for everything you've done for our city and continue to speak out for our city. God bless you. Thank you so much. And now we're going to be going to uh, Lou Dobbs for a financial report. And when we come back, uh, we're going to be coming back and talking with Dr. Peter Mihalos and Dr. Charlie Gasparino Will went down almost five dollars a barrel today. What does that mean? And let's go to Lou Dobbs.
1: It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
3: Well, we're back, and uh, boy, I'm, I'm telling you, we have some show uh, going on today. And uh, do we have uh, uh, Charlie Gasparino on there? Yes, you got him, Charlie. What the heck is going on? I mean, the price of oil went down almost $5 a barrel. The price of gas went down. Uh, Is the jig up?
1: Well, I mean, you know, sometimes oil prices go down, and it's not good news. It means we're heading for a recession. And uh, the Fed's going to raise rates. Um, It's, you know, there's no doubt it's going to be 75 this time. And... um, it's probably going to be 75 several times at least twice so i would say that uh you know if you think you know listen these one day rallies i mean you know we we've had a we've had a horrible uh, couple of weeks in the market um I, i'm just saying that uh i don't understand what will, you know market's markets will um Will you know? You can never say why the market's up one day. You know, it's often many reasons, or why it's down. Why it's down, it's often many reasons. I, I, I'm just saying that macro, what we're heading towards, is not good. Okay, I, I don't care which way you spin it. You know, maybe oil prices go down. Maybe it's because we're heading to recession. That means lower corporate earnings, and that means stocks generally fall. Uh, Google's CEO today just warned that uh, there could be more layoffs, and he's worried about you know ad digital ad sales going down. I mean, these these numbers don't aren't exactly these warnings aren't exactly a buy signal.
6: Charlie Aldamato, I want to ask you a question: When the Fed's raised the rate another three quarters of a point? Right. What's the impact on the economy? Doesn't that fuel the recession?
1: Yeah, but uh, yes, it does. And But remember, what they're saying now is this. If we don't fuel a recession,
9: yep.
1: um, we're going to have a worse recession in the future. Hmm. Because if we can arrange a, a, a soft landing where we get rid of inflation and do something to take, take down the prices where we don't crash the economy, that's better than an inflation-induced recession, like you had during the 70s, and you know I'm old enough, you're old enough to remember that, where the the, the economy had to crash really hard to get rid of, you know, inflation. That was it, it made no difference if you worked or not because, you know, your paycheck was being eaten up by much higher gas prices, much higher, much much higher. Um, food prices and as a matter of fact all that caused a recession so you had stagflation so that's kind of where we're going with this and, and the other thing is what you have here is very strange is you do have the biden administration continuing to fuel inflation through fiscal policy so that automatically guarantees they're going to start raising rates again significantly
2: and let's go over to what the heck is going on in California, that they just announced, what was it, last week they want to ban gas vehicles by 2035, and then yesterday they're what, like, Code 2, Code Red, that if people keep using their electricity, they're going to experience power outages. I mean, I don't need to be a nuclear scientist to know that we just can't sustain all this. I mean, what right, is going on?
1: nuclear power from... Our yeah, nuclear scientists. I uh, know. Right.
2: Uh, we uh, need uh, some uh, nuclear uh, power. I don't uh, think uh, the windmills are going to cut it in the solar panels. And you know who I, I just don't understand. And now other 17 other states want to do the same thing as California. It would affect 100 million Americans. I'm all for like clean environment and all that stuff. But At at what cost? And we have to, like, put the cart before the horse. Like, shouldn't you have the power there before you actually transition to it? That would be too logical. I I think the
1: problem problem is that the Democrats wanted no transition to the zero carbon thing. And now that's coming back to bite them. You know, listen, the president has had a couple of good weeks. Some numbers look good. Gas prices are falling. But, you know, this is a long game. And I am telling you, the economic headwinds that are going into this these midterms are insane. I mean, you have every major investor saying that profits of tech companies are going to come down. You have every major investor saying the Fed's going to raise seventy five and another seventy five. You have the Fed saying that it's committed to a two percent inflation rate. That means a more 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 rate increases. That means a recession. And because the Biden administration and Congress keeps inflating the economy to keep making it worse.
6: Just take a spending. look. Let me let me point out one thing. I've read a number of articles that indicate that starting now, the cost to heat your home, electric, gas, etc., is going to go up two thousand dollars a year. And we're not yeah. talking about a fancy big home. So you take somebody middle income, you hit them with that. You hit them with the grocery prices going up. I I wanna tell you, try to get a turkey sandwich. Try to buy a pound of turkey. Fourteen and a half dollars a pound. Mm-hmm. Everything for the middle class. And I'll tell you, well, the spending has been b- been b- pretty b- heavy now. It's the summer, but you watch and see how many restaurants close and places close because people cannot afford <laughs> The well, prices that are being charged.
1: That's why the Fed is raising rates. You can, you definitely, you can have an inflation. People think inflation is just for an overheated economy, but often inflation causes recessions because people just can't afford to do stuff. What? And what you're having, and listen, prices of gas, gas is going down because people are using less, so they're traveling less. They're probably not going on vacation as much. Uh, and these are average people. They can't people. afford it. They can't afford it. They can't go to restaurants. They're not
6: going to be able to buy a house that they thought they well, could. That's
1: definitely
2: happening. A new survey came out that more than a third of Americans can barely – because of inflation, it doesn't even cover basic necessities like food, water, and rents. I listen, mean, this is getting disconnect crazy. There's
1: a between reality and what's going on in the markets often. Often, you know, the markets are – listen, th- th- this is not a market that's really, like, run by rational human beings, just so you know. this is th- These are not, – not that stock traders were ever rational, but – this is these are purely rational machines that are doing this, and who knows what buy button gets hit if the price of crude oil goes down to you know seventy seven dollars. Where, where is it trading today, John? You would know this.
3: A price of oil hit eighty two dollars today, and the price of natural gas went from ten to to like seven ninety
1: five. Yeah, right. So there are there are algorithms that kick in at that that buy stocks. They just buy it across the board, so that's what you kind of had today. Now, does that mean that everything is hunky dory? I'm telling you, we're you know maybe I'm a glass half full guy or glass half empty. I don't know, whatever that cliche is. I no, guess. you're half-empty.
6: right on. The worst is yet to come, and it's coming. Now, John,
2: you were on Maria Bartiromo today talking about Bite or Biden's energy policy. I mean, what do you think? I mean, well, is-
3: I, I said that the, the price of oil will continue to come down. Unless there's another war, and the Saudi arabians are playing games first, they authorized a hundred thousand barrels that, that, and just to make Biden happy on his trip, then they cancelled it last night so the, there's worldwide games being played, and that affects the supplies and it affects uh, uh, you know it affects the prices and 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 like uh, uh, Charles Gasparino said that the uh, gasoline is down like seventeen percent or something.
2: But I like yeah, that was, line John used. You said that they're attacking our way of life. Yeah, yeah. Charlie, well, it's, your,
3: your, your, it's your microphone.
1: Uh, yeah, well, all I was going to say is that we had Larry Fink, the head of BlackRock, on yesterday, and he, me and uh, Liz Clayman interviewed him. And he said, listen, the price of gas is coming down, but inflation is, in, is embedded in so many other aspects of the economy. And it's not that far down, just so you know. And so remember, this is this is a long game, and the Fed knows it's got real issues. So I, w- if you're the average guy out there, you want to know where to put your money – be really cautious right now because these head fakes are not, are, you know, they, they, they lure people in and then you get crushed because the professional traders know when to blow out. And, uh, and it, it, listen, I don't know if we can escape a recession. here's one reason why we probably can't the Biden administration will do nothing to um, deal with the supply side of the economy, it won't pump oil. It won't cut regulations. I'm not even calling for a ta- saying let's tax cut. Let's even I mean, lay back on regulations. Let's stop. Are doing some of this punitive stuff on business. They won't do that because it's, you know, he's he's appointed, you know, some of the most radical people in regulatory positions that we've ever had. I mean, the Biden administration in, from a from a just a, an ideological point point of view from in in the in the people who run the various regulatory agencies is more radical than anything in the Obama administration, much more.
8: The FTC has declared war on business. Read the editorial today in the Wall Street Journal, lead editorial, Charlie
1: there you go FTC go down the line FCC the, you know the Janet Yellen, use, who's never held a job they, you know, a real they used job the in government
3: life. they used the governmental agencies and they declared war on our our own american people yeah, and, our, I mean, and, and, and american we're business for it
1: now and like i said one day in the market don't be fooled. I, you know I've seen these these sort of rallies like this right before the financial crisis hit. It, you know the, the the overarching macroeconomic situation here is just not good. We have governments spending a ton of money. Okay, we have so you have in inflationary fiscal policy, deflationary monetary policy. And that's gonna whipsaw things. And the bottom line is the Fed is committed to two percent. Okay? If you keep spending money, they're gonna keep raising interest rates and they're gonna force the economy into yeah. a But a I-
3: instead of fixing the problem and and flooding the market with crude oil from North America, like we talked about, fixing right. the problem, they're creating another problem for the American people and in raising interest rates. That's my opinion.
1: Well they are, but but John, if you don't get rid of inflation, you you, you get Germany in the thirties.
3: Thank you, Charlie Gasparino, and we'll catch up again soon. And we we both pray for America. Thank you we so do.
1: much. Thanks, John.
2: And uh, coming up, we'll be speaking to the school superintendent for the Archdiocese of New York. Keep it right here, Cats at Night. Perfect.
1: at night on the red apple podcast network
2: and now on the line a uh, great pleasure welcome back to cats at night we have michael deegan he's the superintendent of schools for the archdiocese of new york welcome back to cats at night
0: lydia it is great to be with you and john and all the great listeners um uh, who tune into his wonderful uh, broadcast
3: well thank you for for coming on and this morning um we were together uh <laughs> along with cardinal dolan and and uh, we had breakfast with uh, Bill Barr, the former attorney general uh, of, uh, <laughs> uh, of Donald Trump, and uh, President Trump, and, and he was also the attorney general of, uh, what is it, President Bush? Mm-hmm. Correct. Uh, and yeah. he was very much, you're in charge of the uh, Catholic education system, and he was very much uh, concerned about the overall education system our kids are getting. And I know Lydia here is concerned about our education system, Tell uh, we 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 got almost almost a million listeners uh, listening. Tell them your concern that the Attorney General had, uh, and he's a product of uh, Catholic schools too. Uh,
0: John, thanks for that. Yeah, I, I know that you enjoy a very personal relationship with Cardinal Dolan. He was very delighted that you uh, were able to spend some time at his table this morning, and we all listened to Attorney General Bill Barr talk about. The crisis that education is facing throughout the country. Um, he was v- he's a very proud product of Catholic schools and Catholic education, and um, spoke fondly of the experience he had uh, as a youngster attending Catholic schools and how much it inspired him to be uh, the exceptional leader uh, that he is today. But as you uh, alluded to, uh, John. Uh, Attorney General Barr spoke about the crisis that we face here in this country about education. And essentially what his message is, and I share his concern, is that um, we do not have the ability to enable our parents to freely choose where to send their children. Parental school choice is something that should be happening across the country. Uh, Attorney General Barr outlined in very specific detail the shortcomings and the failures of our government schools throughout the country and the um, both hidden and public agendas that are being promulgated uh, within those uh, those government schools. And his solution, my solution, and that which I would say uh, certainly Cardinal Dolan would promote, is that across the country, we need to reach out to our legislators, particularly our governors, and say to them that parental choice is the only way that we can equalize the opportunities for parents to have their children educated in the environment, within the culture, and the teachings that they believe in. And I think that history has proven that our Catholic schools here in the Archdiocese of New York, John, you know this better than anyone, um, and Lydia herself as a a graduate, 99% of our seniors graduate from high school, and 98% of them go on to college. Those are remarkable statistics. Uh, I I can also share with you that as of last Friday, uh, we got the results of this year's New York State tests. And, of course, we hear across the country now that test scores have gone down, reading is in in the tank, uh, our our educational system is failing because of the COVID uh, pandemic. Well, I'm proud to say that within the Catholic schools of the Archdiocese, our reading English language arts scores went up 9.5%, not down. And it's because we educate the whole child And we have a real strong tradition of educating in a very quality way and in a very superior way. But there are parents, John, who don't have that choice. My position as superintendent is to say, if you want to level the playing field and give parents the right to choose where they want to send their children, that's what we need to focus in on. Because there are some parents who may choose to send their children to a government school but there are many many others who would want to send their children to a school where the school's values reflect the values at home where the children when they come to school are taught in a kind nurturing welcoming way which of course we pride ourselves on do, in doing in the uh, in the Catholic school system and it is such a disgrace that those who would look to divide us, who would use the separation of church and state, which is frankly a non-starter in this issue, are weaponizing that doctrine of separation of church and state and robbing our parents of an opportunity to send their children to a Catholic school.
2: Again, we are speaking with a superintendent of schools for the Archdiocese of New York, uh, Michael Deegan, how is it possible that in New York City public schools, it costs like almost $30,000 per student, and they, they certainly don't have a college acceptance rate of 98%. I think it's like 50%. It's really sad. A lot of kids are graduating with not having basic life skills. They can't read or write. The Catholic school system, I'm a product myself. I went to St. Brendan's, Cardinal Spellman. You guys are so incredible, and yet you're able to keep it, not 30000 but way less, half the cost. How is that possible?
0: Uh, well, I, I think, first of all, um, we uh, are very, very conscientious of the fact that our schools are funded by our parents, and therefore we are very, very uh, aware that we can't price ourselves out of business. And our tuition rates need to be reflective of what our parents can afford to pay. And therefore, because we do more with less, we are much more innovative and much more creative. um, in Making sure that we don't have the undue bureaucracies, the redundancies, the complexities that a large school system might have that's not the case in the Archdiocese of New York. Uh, it costs um, about seventy-five hundred dollars a year to educate a child. Parents wow. are only paying about five thousand. Now we're able to do it at seventy-five or eight thousand uh, dollars per child, rather than
3: thirty, because that we are is very, very wonderful. That is wonderful. Yeah, we... Last question, because we're going on to a break is the Condell was very, very much concerned about closing any more schools. He says, I don't want to close any more schools. Uh, How many schools do we have now? How many Catholic students do we have now? And uh, uh, are we in danger of closing any more?
0: There are 171 Catholic schools within the Archdiocese of New York. uh, And as you and Lydia know, our schools go from Staten Island all the way up to Albany. So we have 171 schools, 43 of them are high schools. We have 55,000 children, 5,000 teachers and staff. So it's a very, very, it's one of the largest Catholic school systems in the country. Uh, With respect to um, the impact that uh, the pandemic has had on our finances, uh, for as much as I'm very proud of the fact that we do more with less, it is very um, challenging, and I think that um, we, we need to be able to make sure that as we look to the future of sustaining uh, the vitality of our Catholic schools, um, I think that part of the strategic thinking that we have, and this is certainly something that the Cardinal um, has uh, reiterated as often as he can, is, is that we want to strengthen our Catholic schools rather than to close Catholic schools. We may need to... Uh, reinvent and to merge schools together to make them stronger. But certainly I enjoy the Cardinal's expression of we don't want to close schools.
2: Well, thank you so much, Michael Deegan, Superintendent of Schools for the Archdiocese of New York. And thank you for all that you do, because I think the most important thing that you guys teach the students is to not only respect one another, but but to also respect themselves. So thank you so much. Thank you. My pleasure. Good to be with you both.